0: Did you hear that? What was that? Yeah. Jesse, are you being abducted by aliens?
1: No, I thought you were suddenly in a submarine.
0: That was weird. Ready graphics? Ready theme? Good evening. For your information
1: tonight.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Opens the door and surprise. You know, wake up in the morning, sex is there.
1: I am cosplaying this immediately, I do not care who gets it. It helps to have a live target. And on
0: today's episode,
1: we'll be talking about season two, episode 10, Brown Like
0: Me, part one. Hi, this is Lauren.
1: And this is Jesse, And we're back. I'm so sorry, I was taking a sip of festive drink right as you were speaking. How dare you? I'm so festive, it gets in the way of my work. Do you not want to
0: share with our listeners what your festive drink is?
1: Y'all, so I, my favorite thing now is the
0: winter wassail from Trader Joe's. Wait, I'm sorry, are you saying that correctly, or are you putting a funny lilt to it? Because I don't I mean, know what I you're saying. Everything I know, but and I enjoy the fun lilt. But I'm trying to figure out what you're I saying. Wassail, wassail all over the town, per the Christmas Carol.
1: But yes, okay. it is a winter wassail. But from you're not Trader Joe's.
0: I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> oh, it's like it's a festive spiced punch of sorts. Mm. It's in a bottle. It's, you know, we're not even sponsored by Trader Joe's, but I will give them all of my all of my money because I can afford them. Um Same. But yes, it's it's lovely by itself. It's lovely with a little bourbon. All that to say, so excited to be here with you on one of our favorite
0: two-parter episodes. Yes, we love this episode, which is oh. why we wanted to take the time to put all the research and the love into it so we could do it justice. So much love for this episode for many reasons. Many, many reasons. Many. Also, you After these two episodes, you will have seen this episode, so to speak, mm-hmm. in a way that you've never seen it before, because it does not start it does not middle the way you think it does <laughs> so this episode actually aired as one hour oh right. The problem is is that most people know it from syndication, where it uh-huh. was cut into two parts, uh-huh now. Technically, though, it is two parts because a network buys a certain number of half hours. So this is episode 10 and 11, even though it aired as one hour. Oh, that's I never think about that in terms of how we
1: count the episodes, like how many episodes Mm -hmm. have been in the series because of that, because of of syndication, I've always thought this is as 10 and 11. But if we were going by their airing and by the original intention, we
0: actually have fewer episodes in the series. Yeah. And so this aired November 27th, 1989. It is written by Diane English and it is directed by oh. a young boy. Oh, oh, who is, oh, Jesse, do you know? Do you know oh, who it oh, is? Yeah.
1: I've, I've actually heard of him. I mean, not to be too much of a hipster, um, but okay, I've heard yeah. of him. You may not have. His name is uh, Barnett Kelman. Ah, the Barnett Kelman. Yes, that one. That young, that young little, up to,
0: I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm you, sorry.
1: you guys know. You guys know this yeah. joke. And I'm it's sorry, Barnett. everyone. We love we, Barnett.
0: We, this is a joke we find hilarious, and it will point, not get old. You'll never get old to us. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so, if
0: it's old to you, we're so sorry.
1: It's, um, a, it's a short. It's a short burst of our
0: own hilarity. Yes. So, something I didn't know, and I don't know necessarily if it is a fact, but it seems true uh, mm. because I found this on IMDb, which we all know can be edited by anyone. But this sounds yes. about right because you know usually I would like to have more than one source. Mm-hmm. we'll take it with a grain of salt, that this title is a take on the movie Black Like Me. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. I actually don't know much about that movie. Do you know anything about uh, it? I know now. I know it's from the 60s. It is from the 60s. Uh, so you, I had never heard of it. See, at least you had heard of it.
1: Yeah, I think I knew it. I think I thought it was a phrase. And then when I saw it was a movie, I was like, oh, that makes sense.
0: Okay, so a little probma- problematic. It is uh, based on a true story of a white reporter with the height of the civil rights movement went. And darkened his skin um, to understand the realities of living like a black man in the segregated south oh and no. then they made a movie out of it
1: oh no, I'm glad I didn't know about this yeah um yeah oh no
0: oh yes I mean,
1: the only thing that it makes me think of right now, aside from oh no yeah. is, uh Tropic Thunder and Robert Downey jr in that uh, in that movie as a as a joke on People who would do something like this, you know, doing that's really terrible. I shouldn't be surprised because, Lord knows, it's
0: not the first time that kind of thing has been done. But oh my goodness, in 64. And the fact that it's based on a true story also just puts so many layers into it. Yeah. That we're not going to go into, but I thought, I feel like I have to mention this. Yeah, that's, um, heaven forbid they, um, experience
1: the realities of a black man's life. By actually speaking to a black man,
0: <laughs> heaven forbid, right? we speak yes. to the people themselves. Although it re- it somehow reminds me of the Eddie Murphy skit where he puts on whiteface. Oh my god! And yes. then gets all this stuff for free, like he's discovered this world. <laughs> it's hilarious. He gets on a bus, and they're like, "No, you don't have to pay, man. It's a party." That's
1: funny. Yes, this one is. Do you know if that movie? I mean, I know we're being very tangential right now. I but don't think it's a supposed comedy. To be a comedy.
0: I do not, in no way. Well, it says drama on IMDb. Great. But in no way would I ever think that this is supposed to be a comedy. I, I think this was dead serious. I don't even want to look at the pictures. Well, okay. are they just so brave? Anyway, moving Anyway, on. moving on. So, <laughs> uh, so this episode is actually Candice Bergen's Emmy submission, which we've spoken mm-hmm. about before in the past, is many times uh, you have to submit one or two episodes to show your entire body of work for the entire season. Mm-hmm. It makes sense why she picked this one.
1: It makes so much sense. Yeah. Okay. So, um, speaking of part one, uh, the music um, right at the beginning is a very familiar song to me in my childhood. Is um, "Ain't Nothing But the Real Thing" uh, from 1968 by Tammy and Marvin. You, we've talked about Tammy and Marvin. Uh, the songwriters for this uh, for this gorgeous song is uh, Ashford and Simpson. Um, the instrumentation in the song is by our beloved Funk Brothers. Uh, this song has been recorded by everyone. It was recorded by Aretha Franklin, Diana Ross, Barry Manilow, even Justin Timberlake and Beyonce. Hearing this song is just very familiar. It sends me back to a certain place. It's just a nice, warm kind of groove song. It's it's a really nice way to open the open the episode.
0: Yeah, it is. That's one of my favorites for sure. And the fact that it was the first of their only two number one hits like totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. I just want to I forget if I clarified this the last time I probably did because I just feel terrible was I got some things wrong about Tammy and Marvin. They were not in a romantic relationship. Oh, yeah. It is definitely a misnomer. They were just really good friends. They're more like brother and sister. Uh, I had thought that she had fallen and died in his arms, which is like sounded crazy and overdramatic. Uh, and that did happen, but she didn't die then. She just collapsed in his arms uh, and yeah, sure, when she sense. was when she was very, very sick. So I just wanted to clarify. Um, I think that it had been a story that I had been told as a kid and thought that I had really read it. And it just sort of came out as I was talking it was not in my research. And uh, it just goes to show you that, you know, so many things can get into your mind as fact. I mean, it's the Mandela effect. Exactly. It is definitely the Mandela effect. Then we maybe we have talked about this because we talked about the Mandela effect. I'm sure that we did on the show. <laughs> because I like to have the truth. And nothing but the truth. And nothing but the truth. Thank you very much. So uh, so we get into the episode? Let's.
1: And actually, Lauren, I would love for your help on the opening sequence. I feel like you know things about this that I do not. Okay. Um, so what I have done is that it is a series of black and white Shots of couples, uh, a couple wee babes in there. I'm going to assume that that's the cast and crew's parents.
0: Yes. So okay. pretty, they pretty yeah, it matches the, the cast that is up. Mm-hmm. The first name to show up is Candace Bergen, and her parents are quite famous. So, a little bit. A little bit. So mm-hmm. that one is, is very obvious. But I'm about like 100%, if not 99.9% sure that this, just like previously, mm-hmm. matches up to everybody.
1: Okay, that's what I thought, because I definitely... One, I was like, well, this would make sense. We've done this with baby pictures before. And also, I immediately recognized her parents.
0: Very glamorous, too, on the on the, oh, the stairs to the plane. Oh, beautiful. And
1: there's nothing. Black and white makes everyone look real yeah. good. So. Also,
0: if you follow Faith Ford on Instagram, I've seen pictures of her mother. Yes. Who obviously looks fantastic now that I see how, what she looked like before. Like, wow. Faith, I see where Faith gets it.
1: Having the, the social media internet age makes it real easy for me to be like, are those Faith Ford parents? Yes, they are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So we are, we have this lovely opening sequence to that beautiful song we just spoke of. We're seeing this series of couples and parents. We kind of know what we're leading into. And we open on the bullpen. Frank makes his way in from his office, as we have now established. That is the direction he's coming from. And he just says, hey, guys, what's going on? Murphy and Miles are making their way in from the other side of the office. It's not really clear where they're coming from, but it is Murphy leading with Miles behind. And Miles is walking in such a way that his shoulders are up and his head is at a slight and very stiff right angle.
0: Uh, Jesse. Oh, yeah. If I may interrupt. Oh, please do. This is not how the episode actually opened. I was wondering about that. Yeah. So... This episode um, does not start with uh, the top of the story meeting, but actually starts with Miles and Murphy coming off the elevator. Mm-hmm. And of course, they are fighting about the fact that, as we do find out later, M- Murphy uh, hit Miles. It's, you know, just a ding. Just a ding. Now, what I love that, unfortunately, we, we do. So first of all, the script itself starts where the episode itself doesn't. So we have a little literal cut stuff from the day it was filmed.
1: We do have some exclusives mm-hmm. uh, here. I'm so glad you brought this up, Lauren. Thank so you. So this, the this script itself actually starts still in the bullpen in the morning. And we have Corky, Jim, Murphy, Miles, Frank, and bullpen extras are listed. But what matters is that it opens with Corky and Jim coming down the hallway together, which I'm so sad we miss as we so rarely see Corky and Jim together. Mm-hmm. There's such a fun little moment. So Corky's in the process of opening a letter. Let me share what she says. Well, And they just keep pouring in, Jim, at least 200 fan letters a week. It is so gratifying to see how the public appreciates the work I do. In fact, I like to start each morning by picking one at random and reading it with my morning coffee. It says, Jim just tolerates this. He pours coffee as Corky reads. Dear Miss Sherwood, she turns to the office. Can everyone hear me? The bullpen ignores her. I wanted to write and let you know how much I enjoyed your report on Barbara Bush last week. It is important to know about our first ladies and their opinions on key issues. I will always make sure to watch the program when you're on. Your lips were so red. I love the way you move them and I could see the wet spots where your tongue...
0: Hey, come on, read more, keep going. This is disgusting. What kind of person would write such a thing like this? Is his name Duncan D. Hicks? Yes. How did you know? He writes me about once a week. Sounds as though he likes your lips better than mine but he spent three paragraphs on what I might look like lying on a dessert cart covered in chocolate. Ugh. Corky crumples the letter, throws it into the trash. And then we cut into what the actual episode is, which is still before we have this indication mm-hmm. episode. This happens a lot with our episodes because there's just more to cut than would normally be an original half hour. So Murphy comes off the elevator. So Miles, of course, is complaining about the fact that Murphy bumped into him. She claims she tapped him. But what I love that what we miss there's literally a flashing vacancy sign on Murphy's desk that's just blinking. <laughs> and we lose that completely for the rest of time now, apparently, because because these shows are never going to be streaming. But mm-hmm. it's probably one of my favorite secretary gags.
1: I love it. Just, it's yeah. vacant. Yes. What we first see in the episode itself is Frank saying, hey guys, what's going on? And we have missed this opening interaction between Murphy and Miles already bickering. So, but what we do get to see is Grant Shaw's wonderful physical humor of being in this kind of tense, stiff, slightly headcocked
0: position. Did you notice what it says in the stage directions? It actually in within the line tells Grant to do a Charlie McCarthy impression, which just I just need to say that real quick. Sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so Murphy shares with everyone that she happened to she tapped Miles at a stoplight. Miles is walking in stops and goes tapped me and proceeds to rail that his car is ruined a twisted heap of midnight blue hand rubbed metal god is punishing me for buying a german car look i can't even move my head my favorite part of this moment is that his gestures are moving strictly from his elbows and <laughs> to look anywhere he has to turn his entire body in that direction like i'm waiting for him to show up with like one of those uh small top throw pillows taped around his neck trying to make wow. a brace for himself and he says, all because she wouldn't wait five seconds for me to find my station on the radio Murphy informs everyone that while well, he was holding up traffic for two blocks searching for the Osmonds, his car is fine. Trust me. And while she's telling everyone this, what I love is that Miles has made his way over to the coffee station. And in the background of all of this, Corky is giving Miles what appears to be a very unhelpful, very strong shoulder massage. <laughs> Yes,
0: which took me, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. (laughs) It's so funny. He looks like he's in more
1: pain and she's not even paying attention to her, what she's doing to him. She's just obviously giving this massage, but listening to everyone else. And it's just this small little melodrama of pain in the background. (laughs) So as this is unfolding, Murphy is opening a letter and also she goes, listen, no, everyone, listen. She stands up and starts to read that she has been chosen to receive the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award. And it's all about her, her. piece that she did about the disadvantage called "No Place to Call Home," and shares with us that Robert Kennedy was her hero, and that this is a high point of her career. And <laughs> what I love, Miles has made his way around to the other side of the coffee. He's not facing any of them. She goes, and they all go, "Right, Miles, this is a big deal." And he just goes, "Yeah, okay, it's pretty great."
0: Yeah, he's. It's he can't <laughs> not show her how much that, how important that is.
1: But it's so sweet. She's super excited in this moment. We rarely get to see her be that blissfully happy about an achievement.
0: Yeah. And if I may say, I did some research on the Robert F. Kennedy Award for journalism, which I'm embarrassed to say as a child, I thought was made up. (laughs) A lot of the information from this time period is just not really online. Mm -hmm. And it looks like this was a time when they only picked one winner because I can only find one recipient that year. And it could just be that it's not as updated. So this is I mean, it's prestigious, but like the fact that they only pick one person a year, if this is correct, is... Makes it even more yeah. of a big deal.
1: Well, especially with that name recognition, that's a huge deal.
0: So this was this is from their website. It was founded by reporters who covered RFK's historic 1968 presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. The Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award honors outstanding reporting on issues that reflect Robert Kennedy's concerns, hmm. including human rights, social justice, and the power of the individual action in the United States and around the world. And as of today, there are 13 categories. Yeah, that'll, that's a big deal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so as she's you know coming hanging out in this high of the of the honor uh she lets them all know that you know it's a really big deal and she's counting on all of them to be there and then corky says this line but it kills me every time which is but what about your real family Aww. to murphy's credit she's not really ruffled by this and says first of all her parents have been in the same room together since signing the divorce papers 15 years ago secondly her mother's in london curating exhibits so she couldn't be there anyway and thirdly my father is uh too busy because he's always too busy. If he was, he was too busy to watch her win the intramural intramural broad jumping championship in high school. He's too busy for
0: this, which ooh, some old pain. Oh, there's tons of pain. Oh, lots of old pain. So this reminds me that I was taking a series of screenwriting classes, and uh, my script uh, had uh, adult child and parent issues. And someone's feedback was, "I just, I don't think adults really have problems with their parents once they reach adulthood." Oh, honey. I and, and then the entire class decided to agree with her. Oh, so many liars in that room. So many liars. <laughs> and I just looked at them. And, you know, you're only as smart as, you know, the other people in the room. Mm-hmm. And no one would back me up. And I was like, there's so much television and movies based on I'll that. Even that. if I know that this is the truth. <laughs> but what? Yeah, no, it's just not a believable issue in your script. Oh, bless. bless yeah. Her yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think that this relationship is so real. And what's great is that it's just really dripping off of Candace Bergen's words. Like everything that she says, mm-hmm. you you get it. Yeah. You get where this is coming from and how this really shaped her.
1: Exactly. And we all have that. I think that's why it's relatable is that it doesn't matter how powerful you are. The stuff that happened to you as a kid or didn't happen to you as a kid in Murphy's case are the things that make you who you are. Those formative years are called that for a reason.
0: Yeah, the first 12 years of your life are actually like the most important. And Mm -hmm. many people, people with degrees and such, uh, will say that that you really kind of at the age of 12 kind of form what your personality is going to be Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, there's maturity and things like that. But, you know, that's how effective it it is. And that's
1: why you people revert. I mean, that's what we do under stress as we go back to the last time that we developed
0: essentially yeah absolutely mm-hmm. sometimes it's you know you spend years in therapy talking about mm-hmm. when you were 11
1: so in response to this jim stands up with murphy you know i don't get involved in your personal life anymore god knows i still feel responsible for the richard gear debacle and he makes us face and he <laughs> shares that he thinks that she should invite at least one parent she is their only child to which frank agrees call your father what's the worst thing that could happen he'll say no he won't say no. Come on. And he starts grabbing her by the wrist and wrists and starting to pull her toward her office, to which she does the full like the mule digging the heels in
0: leaning backwards, going, Come on, come on, come on. I love when Candace Bergen does this. She does this a lot. She's like when she ankles her body in a way. Yes. But then also comically, when someone gets stiff and someone's trying to pull them in general, it's hilarious. It's amazing. But this episode just reminds you how comfortable she feels now and how mm-hmm. great she's good with the physical comedy and the, the, you know, verbal comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when we get, and I were, it's, I'm jumping ahead, but when we get into the office and she's trying to think of, oh. um, Karen's name. Yes. So good. Linda Lois, Karen, Karen. Hi, hi. You're like, <laughs> it's
1: great. It's great. So he's pulling her and she's resisting the entire way. Um, and she starts making excuses. She's like, "It's not a good idea." He publishes his magazine. It's hard to get away. He married this new young wife. He has a new baby. I don't know the Chicago area, the Chicago area code. Frank goes three one two. Damn you, Frank! And he pulls her into the office.
0: I love that Frank has such major issues with his own parents, but mm-hmm. he he knows enough to know that Murphy needs to have a better relationship with her parents. Almost as if it's wish fulfillment.
1: I mean, you know, here's the deal: we all know a lot about the issues that we personally have. Mm -hmm. We often are the most frustrated with other people in the stuff that we have the most problems.
0: Oh, very true.
1: That is is the thing that always frustrates me the most about other people are usually the things that I'm trying to work on. So, of course, Frank is hyper aware of everyone else's parental relationships.
0: He's just he's a really good friend. He's wonderful in, in this episode. So Frank pretty much ushers Murphy in, you know, demands that she dials. Uh, and and she's just sort of rattling on, you know, that she's setting herself up for a fall. You know, she she doesn't even remember this woman's name. She's like something with an L: Lois, Lisa, Lana. Hello, who's this? Karen. Hi. So it's not even with an L at all, which is is which is perfect, Murphy. Again, talking about reverting back to being a kid, which happens mm. a lot in this episode. You know, Murphy is very uncomfortable. And this is not something that we've seen with Murphy. You know, it's just a phone call. It's just a person. It happens to be her father who yeah. she has this hard relationship with. It almost feels like Murphy's hoping he isn't home so she doesn't have to talk to him. She's not sure if he's there. He may have gone out for a power walk. Yeah. And then as she's on hold, Murphy goes, years from now, she'll still be telling the story. He left one morning for a power walk and he never came back. Dad. So, of course, you know, <laughs> she has to stop what she's saying because the, someone answers the phone. Mm-hmm. She she uh, gives him a compliment. She can't say that she's ever seen anyone call Jesse Helms an embarrassment to primates in print before. (laughs) Uh, So Frank is sort of, you know, pushing her to make a decision. And what's great is she starts. Actually, I think Frank gives it to her. Right. This uh, like stress ball, Mm -hmm. which is in the script, which I find is very rare with some physical things like that. So it's very, very specific that she needs this stress ball and Frank knows she needs it. So so she gets to the point of why she's calling, kind of, you know, rattles it off quickly, that she knows he's probably busy, uh, that he has a lot of obligations, but he asks when it is because she goes two weeks from Friday. Really? You're kidding. And then she smiles. You're kidding. Frank smiles and she's shocked, you know, but, but it sounds like sounds like he's coming Frank is like, you see, you did the right thing. And he's bringing Karen and the baby. <laughs> oh. Not a happy thing for Murphy, as we will see. Yep. So we cut to, um, obviously, you know, a couple weeks later, because this is the day when her father and Karen and the baby are going to arrive. Miles gets off the elevator in another hyper state of shock. He is checking his pulse with his wrist. Uh, In his neck, unbelievable, unbelievable. You're never going to believe this. Of course, everyone is sick of Miles talking about his car. Corky particularly is sick of hearing about it. He goes on and on about how he paid a king's ransom to have some guy with a plunger suck the dent out of it. But he still wants them to sort of, you know, hear him. And what's great is that Jim goes, speed it up, will you? Which (laughs) I wrote, oh my God, I I don't remember Jim being this saucy. I know he's so sassy. I love it. It's, it's kind of amazing um, that Jim is polite, but if you really push him, mm-hmm. he's done with you. Oh, yeah. Move it, move it along, mister. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> so Miles is pulling out of the dealership, driving, driving, driving. <laughs> uh, he comes up to the same spot where Murphy tried to kill him. And guess what? Guess what? You're never going to believe in a zillion years. And then the elevator dings and there's a crowd of people. And you, you hear a very distinct voice in the back hmm. Trying to get through women and children first. And nobody listens. And finally, he goes clear, clear people clear. He, he just, you know, instantly, this has to be Murphy's father. Oh, yeah. We thought that Avery knew how to clear an elevator. But no, Bill Brown can. And this this is what it says. You know, we love to read what it says in the script when we have a new character introduced. Bill Brown steps off the elevator in his mid-60s. He's an imposing man, a seat-of-his-pants kind of presence. He's with Karen Brown, early 30s, very attractive. And Bill Jr., a six-month-old, mass-swaddled in a blue blanket. Oh, buddy. And then all kinds of luggage and children accoutrement, <laughs> we like to call it. And he just very bluntly goes, Bill Brown, looking for Murphy Brown. Very blunt, gets the point. Corky comes over and introduces herself. Bill Brown could care less. Who she is, he needs to see Murphy. Corky remarks how young Karen looks. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they're all surprised. Jim shakes hands with the baby introduces himself. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> it's so cute, though. It, it, I mean, here's my thing. It's, it's so cute watching Jim do his little, like, Mr. and Mrs. Brown and baby brown. Mm, bananas. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he finds
0: bananas on the hands.
1: <laughs> it's all so enveloped by the awkwardness that the situation is that it was hard for me to enjoy it in a good way in Uh, the the situation of the situational comedy really got me in this moment i was like oh god
0: oh god oh she's so young oh god karen asks if people mind if she breastfeeds which you know what get it girl (laughs) well the only comedy to me is that she says it in front of jim i know that makes me happy poor jim yeah good lord so jim's out Frank gets Murphy in her office where she is nervously putting on makeup. She looks fantastic. This is very Katherine Hepburn, this look. Oh, yeah. Probably one of my favorite looks of the season that she's worn. Mm-hmm. It's like a sort of a brown tailored jacket, good collar, sort of a built-in belt, I think, but not really a belt with the pants. It just, it fits really amazingly. Mm-hmm. It's very, because it's tailored, but also it's feminine and masculine at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a power look. Mm-hmm. And it's a... It's a,
1: it's a power look you wear for someone when you're not trying to look sexy, like for your dad.
0: Yeah. But still looking good. She looks good. Yeah. Um, so she wants to know everything about Karen and the baby. Is she smart? Does she support the ERA? Does she wear fur? What do you know, Frank? And Frank just goes, she has legs up to her neck. Oh God, Frank. Nice work, Frank. Oh, Frank. So Murphy's just going, you know, what is a 63 year old man married to a woman younger than his own daughter with a baby? She asked if Frank talked to the baby, which I really appreciate. She's no concept of when children talk. No. In fact, I wrote no one knows anything about babies and I love it. Yep, it's very it makes so much sense for this group. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> Murphy eventually, you know, goes into the office, but we do have a section cut where Murphy asks Frank how she looks. Mm-hmm. And and Frank kind of gives her a pep talk by saying, "She's a woman, Karen's a girl." Oh, which is a little weird and awkward, but I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, you know, you're she's just a young girl and you are an amazing woman and You are better than her because you're Murphy and I love you, and and you don't have to be nervous. Yep. I get the intent. Yeah, I get the intent. Yeah. So Murphy goes into the bullpen and is greeted by her dad, who calls her Susie Q. Susie Q. And then lifts her up in a little childlike spin in which Murphy puts her leg out. She like kicks it out. Like she's 11 years old. Yep. Talk about reverting, as we've said. Oh. Murphy thinks that he looks good. You know, Bill says that his wife is having him eat well and exercising. And he's so excited for Murphy to meet Karen and the baby. Murphy finally gets the baby brother she always wanted, which Murphy says she never wanted a baby brother. She's like, what are you talking about? And then Karen goes, now, Murphy, I know you want to hold him. Which is... <laughs> Just- no. No one knows that. <laughs> no one, no. And for someone who tends to, who seems to act like she is in tune with everything, she did not get this at all. And uh, I think it's cut from the script as, oh, I can see him fine from here. I don't think that's actually Yeah, in I don't episode. think that happened in the episode. So Murphy ends up holding the baby like a sack of potatoes. Yes, that is dripping, <laughs> like keeping it as far away as possible. And then, of course, the baby just starts crying right away because you do not hold a baby like a sack of flour. Mm-hmm and then everyone just ignores the crying and bill's like all right all right murphy's got the baby we're gonna get the stuff let's get out of here But murphy's like i don't have the baby i don't have the baby i don't i don't have the baby i don't and then uh frank puts uh, one of the bags on murphy as she's holding the baby it's It's such a
1: plonk he just like plonks over her head good luck cut to the townhouse so we enter the townhouse and shocking no one Little Billy is still crying the same way as we just left him. He's being held in the same position as when we last saw him walking in through the door, to which Bill says, old adult Bill, we'll say, I'm going to say Bill and Billy. So Bill turns and goes, well, that was an interesting experience. Murphy, doesn't like you. Why doesn't he like you? Just immediately. in. Murphy's holding the baby out. And you know what? I just got to give Karen some props. Karen is she's doing her best. She's trying. She's a nice girl. She did, she just, oh, poor Karen. I feel a lot for Karen in this episode. And she goes, well, it's just because they haven't bonded yet. It'll happen. And she turns to Murphy. She goes, it feels so good holding him, doesn't it? Murphy's like, yeah, who else wants to feel good? Karen. And hands Billy over to his mother, and he immediately stops crying. It's that perfect comic gold of the second that Murphy is not touching Mm -hmm. him, happy baby. Super happy baby. So she's like, let's go, let's go into the living room. She's walking her way in. And as soon as she enters the living room, we see just the bottom half of Eldon because he's on scaffolding in the middle of the living room. No, Eldon, no. There is nowhere to sit comfortably here. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, no. What are you doing, Eldon? What are you doing? Eldon goes, painting your ceiling. <laughs> and he with his roller up on the ceiling. Dude, this is when I start to remember why I love Bill so much. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Really, the, this scene and on through the rest of the full episode. But he goes, what the hell is he painting up there? The Statue of Liberty in a Toyota? What does that mean?
0: I love the way he says Toyota. <laughs> in a Toyota? In a Toyota? I can't even do it. He, Toyota? It's, I don't know. It's very, very distinct to Darren McGavin. <laughs> what does
1: that mean? Eldon gets down and says, oh, he's particularly fond of this one
0: and starts looking up at
1: his great work, saying that it symbolizes the Japanese purchase of the American spirit. Bill looks at him and goes, I can't stay here. And he starts to, what I, again, kudos to Karen. As Bill is making this big, I cannot stay here with these crazy people. Karen insists that they are not going anywhere, that they are here to support Murphy and for her to bond with her new baby brother. And you know what? Karen's not wrong. Go, Karen. She, yeah. is, doing the, she is one of the only adults who is actually thinking about the reason they are there. <laughs> and she's the young one. But her saying her, you know, Murphy's new, new brother with his new sister sparks Eldon's interest and Eldon walks over to Bill and goes this your baby whoa way to go Bill pretty gutsy trying that again considering what happened the first time
0: (laughs) also if I may say Mm. this baby is a contemporary of her son Uh uh-huh and I had almost wondered if he was going to show up in the revival
1: I was always a little curious about that if her brother and her son were going to be
0: contemporaries in the show and someone who's around your age Mm -hmm. like it would probably be more like a Feel like a cousin relationship, even though he was his uncle,
1: yeah yeah there's a there's a whole I'm my own grandpa confusion about this whole thing <laughs> that I'm just like not would not even be able to fathom, but yeah i I did wonder that especially being raised by you know Bill Brown, the apples don't seem to fall very far from the tree in this family, so i I would have been interested if uh if Billy would have shown up at some point,
0: yeah, that would have been really interesting mm-hmm. his relationship with Avery, mm-hmm.
1: so there. They're kind of settling in. Karen uh, goes off. I think she goes have to change, right, or to get freshened up. Somehow, I think so. Yeah. I can't somehow remember. the Elden goes into the kitchen. We end up with Bill sitting, Murphy kind of settling down next to him, and they're looking at little Billy in his little bassinet, his little car seat. And Murphy tries to strike up a conversation to say, "Wow, things have really changed, haven't they, Dad?" Bill goes, "Not really." Noriega's still in Panama, and there's a Republican again in the White House. Murphy's like, "No, no, no." No, not like that. It's just with you. You got a new wife and a new baby. And, you know, she knows he's never been one for kids. And then we'd look over at Bill and he just goes, he looks just like me, doesn't he? And he starts goo-goo-gooing over this baby immediately. Oh, poor Murphy. Poor Murphy. And she's saved by a knock at the door. <gasps> oh. Who could it be? Who could it be? So Murphy leaves Bill, who is loudly cooing over this baby in the background, opens the door and, surprise! it's avery brown as i wrote in all caps it is queen colleen dewhurst in a brilliant blue outfit with a fabulous black feathered hat i am cosplaying this immediately i do not care who gets it (laughs) please will you do that i will make this happen this outfit is fantastic it is brilliantly blue and she's the best and of course like us the crowd goes wild in the audience
0: insane like we did not know there were two major guest stars in this oh my episode god! oh my god it was
1: that great thing of you know you're hoping this is what's about to happen but you you're not going to assume that you're going to get both him yeah. and Colleen Dewhurst in an episode
0: well yeah in fact I forgot to mention that he does get entrance applause when he comes mm-hmm. in it's a big deal It is a very, very big Mm -hmm. deal. And we'll go into uh, who Darren McGavin is in a moment. Mm -hmm. But continue with the fabulous Colleen Dewhurst.
1: Well, Ms. Avery, of course, because Colleen Dewhurst is is a great professional, has that perfect, like that thing that happens when you have a live studio audience or you're a theater actor, the people who are able to play audience applause or reaction and live in like the swell of that moment. So it doesn't, she's still in character the entire time, but the space makes sense as to why she hasn't spoken yet. It's a true gift. Mm -hmm. And she has this ability to just swell in the doorway with her and then makes her way into the foyer to put her stuff down. And she has not looked into the living room. She's moved off to the left when she first enters at the table. And she has this great uh, floral hat, um, what am I trying to say?
0: Hat bag, hat bag. Okay, I'm right.
1: Yeah, I was about to right? say right. Is there
0: not an actual yeah. name for it? It's a hat bag. It's a hat
1: bag. But um, it it's beautiful. It's got like kind of looks like a floral couch threw up yeah. on it. I love it. And
0: I love that detail. Oh, it's so good. They they were like, well, this is a woman who has a lot of hats. She must have a bag and a hat bag. Look at the hat she's wearing. I think that's the bag for that hat.
1: <laughs> like, it's just one, just one bag for one hat. Worth it. <laughs> worth it for that hat. And. She she puts her stuff down and she turns around and says, I've got a bone to pick with you, my daughter, which felt very Marilla Cuthbert in my heart. Um <laughs> I hate finding out about your life from the newspaper, especially when there's going to be a large party and I'm not invited. And she's you know, she shares with her that she decided she was going to fly back to be with her. After all, it's a very big deal and she should be a part of it. And suddenly she starts sniffing the air and she says she smells paint hmm. and and oh, she starts to nice. smile, which I love. Old Spice. And she starts sniffing and following her nose. And what I love about this is the choice in which it is a pleasant memory. Like she's mm. smiling at it. And, not, and you're realizing that, yeah, this used to be a good thing. Yeah. So she starts kind of following her nose around into the living room. She goes, she hasn't smelled Old Spice since. And she sees Bill. She hears the coo and goes, oh, my God. <laughs> in the most Colleen Dewhurst of yeah. low rasp.
0: And let's again remind the audience, this is 1989. She has not seen him since 1974. Yes. <laughs> and she remembers why perhaps she didn't used to smile at Old
1: Spice. Yes. Bill, pause. The entire audience again goes wild for the two of them. This is about to be one of the great banters of all time. And same. Should we, should we take a role? Because oh, yes. I know
0: this very well. Who would you like to be? I'd love to be Avery. Okay. I will be Bill. Do we have the script? Um, I mean, I, I haven't read, read it, it down. Properly. Let's read it properly. You're right. Let's go to the script, guys. Let's go to the script. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. Do, 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 Even though do, I literally was t- while we wa- while I watched this part of the episode, I was just talking along with her. Oh, yes.
1: Do, 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 do. Oh, next one. Do, do, do. Uh, oh my god, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> while we wait, I just want to read the direct, the description of Avery, which is Yes, please. Avery Brown is as we remember her. Tall, strong, elegantly dressed, and wearing a hat few women other than herself could get away with. She has a suitcase. Aww. She walks into the entryway. It's so accurate.
0: <laughs> okay, go ahead.
1: Uh, We're ready. From, I'm ready. From her seeing Bill? Yeah. Okay. Oh my god.
0: Avery, what the hell
1: are you doing here? What am I doing here? I live here. You
0: don't live here, mother.
1: Well, I visited here once, so I know where, and I know where things are, and that's almost the same thing. And what have we here? Amazing, Bill. At your age, one would
0: think you'd be shooting blanks. It helps to have a live target.
1: So from that moment, that lovely introduction, uh, what I, I wrote is he turns, smiles at her, and then says the target line. You're, you're like, oh, he these two are ready to rock. He
0: does. Oh, he just, oh, he just wants to get her. They're so your scared. hat, also, your hat is stupid. Oh my God, yes, that's coming.
1: <laughs> and so what I wrote is the crowd is so into this face-off that it again mm-hmm. takes another moment for Murphy to be able to try and smooth it over in her next line. She gets physically between them and goes and does a whole like, oh, I mean, who could have imagined this was going to happen? And Bill turns and instead of responding to her, she goes, that hat is stupid. <laughs> he does not long <laughs> id. He does. That hat is stupid. <sighs> Avery says she can't stay here. She knows it's a huge disappointment, but she'll need a hotel. Murphy very excitedly says that she'll go call Georgetown Inn and unfortunately has to leave them alone. At which point, Eldon arrives from the kitchen. Eldon is so excited to see Avery. And she is so excited to see Eldon with an, oh, Mr. Berenike, which I I love her respect for him. She- Oh, I know. And she like takes his elbow. They begin to walk down stage. It's
0: very theatrical, this moment. So question. Yes. The way that, that Colleen reads this, something told me you'd still be here. Do you think that she thinks that there's going to be a thing between the
1: two of them? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's one, I knew yeah. you weren't done. And two, mm, I thought there might
0: be something. I thought you'd happening. be here because I I read it. I was like, Avery, what were you? Were you did you turn to a little matchmaking there? Yeah, I thought you'd still be here. There was just something in there.
1: Yeah, I kind of think it was a little. I think it's one, she knows Eldon was not leaving anytime soon. And two, I think she was coming up with ideas as to why. I think she was kind of like, oh, my daughter has taken a lover kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, we all know. I mean, She did have a thing with the gardener. Yeah. Which I think she thinks it's again, apple tree. I think she she thinks this is what's happening. Not far to go, you know, wake up in the morning. Sex is there, you know, get it ladies, (laughs) get it. So, But sex goes home at night. Anyway, (laughs) so she does say, she says,
1: something uh, told me that you would still be here as she um, kind of flirtatiously walks down holding his elbow and says, you know, I was thinking about you recently. She apparently had seen an exhibit of a primitive wall paint of primitive wall paintings in Malawi. And as they're standing there, Eldon says, have you seen my latest work? Cast your eyes skyward. She goes, oh. Oh, the usurping of American ingenuity by Asian industrialism. Very bold
0: perspective. You know, the satirical painting has been, has long been maligned to those who do not believe it is a true art form. What is art? Really? The debate goes on. I've missed our little talk so much.
1: The two <laughs> of them? are so, just... so cute! They're so cute! They're so wonderful. They're so perfect for each other. Like, I just want Avery to take Eldon away as a lover. So, at that moment, poor Karen appears. And Avery whooshes around to face her and says, hello, well, I have a feeling
0: I know who you are. Aren't you going to introduce us, Bill? Probably not. No. <laughs> also, if I may say, Karen, again, completely mis- misconstruing, misconstruing? Uh, misunderstanding uh, that Murphy would want to do yoga. Oh, yes, Karen did come down offering to do yoga.
1: and Which sends Avery swooping tapes. up to be like, oh, hello. So Avery introduces herself with, I'm Avery Brown, the original wife, the one who married him in college and gave up her own career so that she could support him while he was starting a newspaper, bore him a child, raised it, and then one day was told that he was bored and he was leaving, and you are a... Uh...
0: Karen, this is a surprise. Yeah.
1: Okay, we're just going to act out this whole I know. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. It's, it's just so good. It's so good. And But sweet Karen is trying to say it doesn't need to be awkward. It's, it's oh, all oh, going to be okay. Can I say one of my favorite lines? Yes.
0: Okay. Never got over your obsession with breasts, did you, Bill?
1: (laughs) (laughs) To which Eldon's in the background. He takes a little, he's standing there and goes, let's see, go to the paint store or stay here and watch this. I think I'll stay. And climbs up to take a seat on the scaffolding. Murphy swoops back into the room, very excited to say that Georgetown Inn has a room for Avery, but only if she's there in 15 minutes, so she better get going. And Avery suddenly realizes she doesn't think it's right to go to a hotel. Not mm-hmm. when it's she's here for her daughter so they could spend time together. She'll just sleep in the den. To which uh, Bill remarks that it's just like old times. <laughs> and Avery ignores that and says that she's going to go freshen up and takes her herself away. Murphy turns to Karen and says, interesting family, kind of like a Fellini version of the Waltons. That is so dead on. It is spot on. <laughs>
0: Uh, now, we cut to, which, by the way, um, the first run syndication only showed me the scene with Murphy and Karen, and I only got to see once when this aired, because I did watch this, this episode air, mm-hmm. the amazing three-person scene at the end of this episode. Oh. I'm just warning, so like some of this is new to me, oh, which yeah. is kind of fun, you know? but, but first we have Murphy's Bedroom. Oh, Murphy. And Murphy is sound asleep. And as we know, Murphy does not like to be woken up. Oh, no. Not, 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 not one bit at all. <laughs> so we heard of this loud, loud knock on the door. And Karen sort of makes her way in and does that sort of, oh, did I, did I wake you? Oh, I thought because you'd be awake. I'd be awake. And oh, well, you're awake now. We should just talk. Which, of course, is not, everyone knows, in sitcoms and comedy, that means you wanted to talk and you wanted to wake them up so you could talk and then you pretended like you didn't. Karen is dressed in this really sort of beautiful... 80s, uh, nightgown, nice. low neckline, a little little robe over it. Really quite lovely. Her hair kind of pulled back a little bit. And Murphy is just Murphy sleep hair, beautiful, you know, really comfy pajamas that we know. But my favorite part of this is every time Karen tries to talk, and she's obviously either really nervous or had a lot of coffee because she's my hair just talking really really fast, but she has a lot to say. <laughs> Murphy just looks at her and goes, What? Which I just love and relate to Murphy being woken up because this is definitely me. Yep. Mm -hmm. Particularly if I've just fallen asleep Mm -hmm. because when I if I've just been into REM, in fact, one time someone woke me up just when I hit REM and I thought I was going to vomit. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. It's, It's so real and I just feel like up until now you never saw that. You know, women woke up or like in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? Where she, in the middle of the night, she wakes up and then puts her, her face up like it really is and then wakes up before her husband does and puts her makeup on. We always saw that in television. Mm-hmm. You know, a woman just looked really great while she was sleeping. Not realistic. No. No. Which I really appreciate. Well,
1: for example, I, every Thanksgiving, I watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And my, yes. my biggest gripe about that movie is that Steve Martin's wife is laying in bed waiting for him to come home with a full face of like delicate makeup with like pink lip gloss on. And it drives me insane. <laughs>
0: Well, Karen's just going on about how, you know, uh, she thinks it's really best that she she le- leave. That she kind of gets this mm-hmm. the, actually the one time that she is correct about the situation. Again, so far she's not really gotten Murphy, but she's getting what's happening between her husband and his first wife. And thinks that maybe she should leave and have the three of them kind of have their own time. She's going to leave Bill Jr. 'Cause she thinks it's important. Mm-hmm. I though I wonder if Karen thinks it's important. I think Karen wants to get away. I think Karen's <laughs> been a little selfish. I think she might think that she's not being, but she could have brought that baby with her. That's that makes me think that she needs some alone time and you know what? She's a new mom and yep. that's okay. I think Karen's a little overwhelmed and I think she's looking out for, for her. And I, I think right now that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so she's gonna take the shuttle to New York. She feels this is the best thing to do. Murphy isn't really absorbing any of this. Mm-mm um until of course she says you know new husband new baby you know it'd be nice to sleep alone for a while you know your father needs a lot of sex i mean i like sex but then <laughs> she's like whoa 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 because no one wants to hear how their father needs sex every day no no one no truly no one needs no one. to hear that particularly murphy so she she really sort of you know makes her stop she's like I, you my father sit i love that candace goes Sad. and then just like doesn't finish the word sex like murphy just Sad. can't even like say it. it's just so gross for her to think about <laughs> and so so karen's gonna go and, and she says you know sweet dreams and murphy goes sure if you like cigars and tunnels oh god
1: so murphy seems to think that she is finally going to get that sleep she's been so needing mm-hmm. and Oh, shocking to no one. Another figure arrives in the dark. We can see through the slight sheen of the floral robe that it's Avery coming in, holding a box. Murphy, wake up. Turns on the lights. I'm awake. Good. I forgot to give you this. It's a present. It appears to Murphy's. Well, I guess we would say stage left, but our right of Murphy. And... She says, it's a handmade Tam from Scotland. I saw it and I thought of you. This is where we start learning that uh, Avery really always needed Murphy to wear hats like she does. Yeah. And uh, Murphy doesn't do hats like she does.
0: No, and she she gave it to her the first episode in mm-hmm. season one, mm-hmm. you know.
1: And I watched the dog eat it into a million pieces. Ha! Yeah, we it really starts getting confirmed in this episode, especially with a uh, yeah. an entrance to come. And yes. <laughs> Murphy says, gee, thanks. I needed one of these. And for anybody who's not immediately familiar with a tam, it's that traditional kind of Scottish, oh, I don't want to say beret, but kind of like Scottish beret with the, it's in the plaid and it's got the the pom-pom on top. Uh, Nice round, you know, cultural
0: hat. And as it says in the stage directions, it looks ridiculous on her.
1: It looks bad because she is told to try it on because Avery wants to see it. Yeah, of course. That's what all moms
0: want to see how that... That gift
1: that I brought you? Oh, like. yes. And, and she puts it on and she, oh, Murphy, you really, you can really wear hats. And Murphy clearly doesn't believe her. But too late. Avery settling into bed on on top of the, the comforters, kind of sandwiching her in. We'll see in a minute why that's important. Settling into mm. to sitting upright in the bed and says, so what should we talk about? Murphy thinks that maybe they should be sleeping. Oh, you're such an old lady. Let's stay up all night talking about things that interest us. Art, theater, Karen. I hate Karen, don't you? I love that. (laughs) I hate art, religion, Karen. I hate Karen, don't you? Don't you? And Bill enters. He starts walking and saying he he saw the door open and the lights were on. Oh, it's you. Avery turns. We're talking, Bill, about women's things. Pantyhose, childbirth, get out.
0: I love that line. (laughs) Are
1: you making her wear hats again? Don't do that, Avery. She doesn't look good in hats. See,
0: Bill sees the truth. He does. It's It's really not her thing. Yeah, this reminded me of how much during this time period in, you know, 89 to the 90s, I so wanted to look good in hats Same. and I did not cuz blossom was really oh, big around yeah. this, I wanted, right? blossom hat. I wanted to rock that. I wanted to and then Clarissa explains it oh, all, yes. also really big about hats, and I would try so hard, but as I was thinking about this I went I never at the time I remember thinking how I would never look good in hats and now And not to like, you know, humble brag myself. I wear a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. I think I think I actually feel comfortable. Maybe it was me Mm -hmm. that didn't feel comfortable and not the hat. Maybe I've become more secure. I'm just saying, I think I grew into hats. That too. So maybe that is. I don't know. But I definitely did not look good in hats. And this reminded me of how I desperately wanted to. I just remember being
1: really (laughs) resentful that I looked the best in the types of hats I didn't want to wear. Mm. They were never the ones that were trendy at the time
0: no 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 those like the yeah the big big blossom hats, the bucket hats, and hats did, long time. yeah didn't look good in them we digress
1: so yes, avery anyway. is very happy sarcastically that a bill is now an expert in fashion does he still have those 12 pairs of desert boots
0: here we go again oh also did we mention that he's wearing a kimono
1: oh we did not it is short yes it is um it is it is a look Uh, So Bill in response starts working his way to the other side of the bed yelling about here we go again the critic let me get a pen and pad I want to get every word down and he starts making his way to the other side of the bed pushing himself into the sitting upright on the other side of Murphy and she is now completely sandwiched in and held down by her own covers by these two. And Avery says, let me begin with who do you think you are gallivanting around with a woman half your age? Because a woman your age can't keep up with me. Oh, excuse me. I was forgetting I was talking to a man who now wears Italian underwear they sell in a tube. During this interchange, Murphy is slowly sliding under her covers and we're starting to only see the top of her hat. And in Bill's next uh, retort, he starts to say, well, she hasn't changed a bit, still sucking on that lemon. And Murphy springs up out of her covers with a, hold it, hold it, hold it. What is going on here? It's one o'clock in the morning. This is supposed to be one of the best days of my life and you two are at each other's throats. What kind of family is this supposed to be? I mean, we're all adults here, right? To which Bill goes, would you please take off that hat? (laughs) And Murphy now says a wonderful little monologue. Uh, Lauren, would you like Mm -hmm. to read
0: it? Oh, sure. People will talk about their big Thanksgiving's and I tell about how dad saw mother's person half with the electric knife. You should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you can't hold it together for one day. One day so I can enjoy myself. Is that too much to ask? And to their credit, they both look ashamed.
1: Mm-hmm. Bill's standing at this point and he tells his Susie Q <laughs> that he gets what she's saying. She's absolutely right. He walks around to the other side of the bed where Avery is and says he doesn't know about her, but he's willing to put aside the old differences. And Avery says she thinks she can too. And right at that moment, Eldon enters, holding a glass of milk and a little plate of cookies. Oh, so this is where everyone is. (laughs) Avery very generously offers that maybe they should start by having lunch together tomorrow at Le Monde. Bill turns immediately back into Bill and says, is that a jacket and tie kind of joint? I don't like that. What about the fish house off Connecticut? Since when do you like eat fish? Since I found someone who can cook it. I love in the directions says, Murphy sees it's futile, puts the blankets over her head. (laughs) And the two of them exit, bickering the entire way off screen. And I just wrote, and they're off. And Eldon sitting there with Murphy just goes, I hate it when mom and dad fight. <laughs> and Murphy takes a cookie.
0: And then that is the end of part one. Part. What will happen next, kids? Only good things, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And more, more, cuts down, more cut stuff, unfortunately. Um, should we quickly talk about Darren McGavin? Let's talk about Bill. So at the time, uh, most people actually knew Darren McGavin from a television series he did. I know most people today will probably know him from A Christmas Story. Oh, that's so wonderful. But and I know, Jesse, you know this movie more than mm-hmm. I do. But my understanding is that it really was a cult hit. Oh, yes. Was not a big successful movie when it came out. Mm-hmm.
1: And now it's become one. That, I mean, we have um, TV channels that's 24 hours a day on Christmas playing yeah, that I know. movie. My, I mean, my family was very partial to it. One, because we grew up in the uh, snowy tundra of Minnesota. Um, and also because my father in particular would laugh so hard at that movie that it was like high-pitched girl giggling by the end. And there's <laughs> something about that leg lamp. It's just a classic.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I mean, even The Wizard of Oz, not a big hit. And then mm-hmm. they showed it on television mm-hmm. and it became the classic it is today. Um, so he and I... This is so embarrassing. I don't really know how to say it because I've never actually seen the show. I think it's called Kolchak. And I know it as Night Stalker. Mm, I say Kolchak. Yeah, it's it, the full name is Kolchak the Night Stalker. Thank you. Okay. Um, and it became sort of like a cult classic. Oh, yeah. He also was, you know, on Marcus Welby, MD. He played, funny enough, General George S. Patton in a television biography. Mm-hmm. Because as many people may know, uh, Colleen Dewhurst's first husband, and I think technically... Can, didn't they get remarried? Anyway, um, I'm forgetting the whole bio we talked about. We do these episodes and then it goes out of my head and I'm forgetting Colleen Dewhurst's bio as I'm talking. Um, anyway, George C. Scott was married to Colleen Dewhurst mm-hmm. and he, of course, won the Oscar uh, and most famously played George S. Patton in the movie Patton. So that's funny, mm-hmm. isn't it? And yes, she, she was remarried to
1: George C. Scott. They got married again and divorced again.
0: That's what I thought. I was like, why am I second guessing mm-hmm. myself? You're right. Thank you. Uh, He was a member of the actor's studio. He studied with Sanford Meisner. He studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse. On Broadway, he was in Death of a Salesman, Rainmaker, The King and I. Really a well-known actor of his time, which is why he got entrance applause. You Mm -hmm. know, everyone knew who he was. What's interesting is that according to a few of his uh, obituaries, it says that he won the Emmy for this episode, um, but that is not true. Yeah, Jay Thomas won the Emmy this year for Best Guest Actor in a Comedy. Oh, that guy. And beat him. And so I know that. And so when I'm reading these, I went, well, did did he win it for season four then? I look it up. He did not win an Emmy. And I oh. don't know why some of these obituaries say that he won the Emmy for this episode of Murphy Brown, which he did not.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I think he is somebody that I would assume had.
0: Exactly. That's why I thought, oh, they must have gotten confused. Maybe it's for like a different Emmy. No. Mm. Um, and in fact, on the, I think they might have gotten this mistake from the Emmy website
1: Oh. because
0: the Emmy obituary also says he won an Emmy in 1990 for playing Candace Bergen's father. Oh. So I see why maybe they, but still it's wrong. Yeah, it's still wrong. So it's funny how things, you know, get passed on. Uh, He died in 2006 at the age of 83.
1: Wow, that was so recent. I mean, I guess not. That was 13 years ago. But to me,
0: it was so recent. (laughs) Something also interesting, according to this obituary in the New York Times, is his son's name was Bogart. Oh. Yeah. I'm assuming for Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I'm going to assume. And uh, he was the voice uh, of Budweiser at one point for this Buds For You commercial.
1: That sounds sounds about right. That
0: all-American, older male voice. Well, he should have won an Emmy. Absolutely. Wish there could have been a tie. And um, so the actress who played Karen is Susan Wheeler Duff. She doesn't have that large of a resume, um, but she now goes by Susan Morse because she's married to David Morse, who you may know from The Green Mile I was or to say, David particularly Morris, I know very well. Yeah, most people I think might also know him from St. Elsewhere, Mm -hmm. he's got an amazing resume. I say that just because that's the name that she's known by now, I'm not trying to define her by her husband, but she wrote a book about her relationship as a caretaker to her mother under that pen name. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm, so she's sort of got her own non-acting career going right now. Love it, love her, love Karen, more Karen to come. Yeah, and she looks great because here's something interesting, Susan, a.k.a. Karen, is about the same age that Bill is in this episode.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. She's 61 now. All right. But looks amazing from these pictures. Definitely look her up. Good living. Okay. So this was part one. Stay tuned for Brown Like Me part two. Can you imagine if
1: we just never did part two and just left them like this? They'd be so angry with us.
0: (laughs) Cliffhanger, what are you going to do? I don't... Oh, no. Well... If you, here, if you, if you want to see part two, you should support us on our Patreon. Okay,
1: how do they find that, Lauren?
0: That would be at murphybrownpod.com slash donate. I say that because not only could you join our Patreon, you could just give a one-time donation because it really helps independent podcasts like ourselves mm-hmm. to continue and to thrive and to actually produce shows.
1: Sure, yeah. If you're looking for some, some non-traditional uh, holiday giving... Uh, that's that's a great way to do it and you can also find links to other places just like us once while you're there yeah and of course you can also support us by interacting with us on our social media we are at Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Murphy Brown Pod we love to hear from you guys uh, we always try to get back to you as quickly as we can it's just really fun to to share in this community that we enjoy so much so please hang out with us there and we'll see you soon for another edition of FYI the Murphy
0: Brown Podcast <laughs> so i'm sorry i'm weird right now okay um